0: We will welcome our children if they would like to. Um, always feel bad. I never want kids to think we're kicking them out. But uh, if you'd like to go worship with Miss Abigail, you feel free to do so right now. She's going to be opening God's Word, and we're going to sing, dance a little bit. It's going to be fun. As she does that, I want to I uh, just give give you a little bit of insight um, to uh, the table that you may have noticed when you walked into the church today as it was adorned with very fine plastic blue tablecloth uh, that I purchased for a dollar of the road. Our church is focusing on discipleship. Um, we want to make disciples. It's important. Last Sunday, right in this room, we had several people who came and were trained on how we want our church to move forward in making disciples, and now we're turning it over to you. And we want to ask if you would like to be in a D-Life group. Now, let me tell you what that is very quickly, and then we'll move on to our text today. It's a group of men or a group of women. It's going to be five to seven in number. There may be the odd situation where there's more than that. It really just depends on sign-ups and leaders and that kind of thing. But nonetheless, let me tell you what the agreement will be because we want you to be involved in this. You will be given a book, and that book, it will give you a signed reading. It will either be a book or an app. The choice will be yours. But it's going to lead you to where every day you read just one chapter of the New Testament. Now, for some of us, this isn't to replace maybe the discipline you've already got going. It's just to supplement it. But for anyone that might be struggling to get in the word, and let me tell you, I've been there too. But for those who may be struggling just to maintain that discipline, this will introduce that to you. And we're going to train you what to look for as you're going through the text. You'll be thinking about, God, are you exposing sin in me? Is there... Promises that I need to look. Is there, is there attitudes in me that might need to change? I mean, there's all types of things we're going to be looking at to say, God, as I read the Bible, uh, I, I want you to speak to me. So the textbook is the word of God. Basically, the, the discussion is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And we want you to be involved. Like I said, five to seven people per group. It'll be a discussion-based opportunity. Uh, While our praise team meets in here on Wednesday nights, we'll be meeting in other parts of the building on Wednesday nights to start out with. And then eventually, this will go out from the walls of the church and will be multiple nights of the week and at different locations, some restaurants, some homes, wherever. But to start us out right, we're going to meet in the church on Wednesdays uh, at 630. I want you to be connected to that. This is not a North Valley church thing. So if you're our guest today, I'm talking to you. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be associated with this church to be connected. This is just a simple way for you to say, you know what? I'm going to meet with other believers, and we're going to open up God's word. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to get to know each other. And that relationship is going to sharpen each other into the likeness of Christ. So if you're interested in that, Right outside, again, on that beautiful table that I decorated with all of my decor uh, background. Thanks. Uh, We would love for you just simply give us your name, email address, and a way for us to get in touch with you, and we want to make sure you get connected. All right? If you have any questions about that, Jared Wilkes, our own beloved Jared Wilkes. You may know him best as the son of world-renowned author Bill Wilkes. uh, Jared and I would love to help connect you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's go back to our discussion. We're talking about the five solas. If you weren't here last week, let me just kind of refresh your memory. Um, there was a time when the church, as it was structured, was, and I won't pull punches here, corrupt and evil and non-honoring to God. Welcome to church. Uh, It it was aggressively anti-God, very pro-man-centric, very anti-God. Something had to change. There had to be something where that had to be formed again or reformed. And that's where, from a historical standpoint, we get what our history books call the Protestant Reformation. Reformation. Now, the reason we're taking a look at this is because we celebrate on October 31st, Reformation Day, we celebrate that day when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel there in Germany, and basically what he was saying is, we got some things we got to talk about. Basically, the thing that kind of catapulted that discussion was this, the church was saying, All of you who die are going to go to purgatory. Let me define purgatory just for the sake of our discussion. It's not hell. It's not heaven. It's a holding tank where you have to work off the sin that you have. And if you've done that and the right people pray for you, you can go to heaven. Otherwise, you're going to hell. Now, I want to be respectful because I know that if you're like me, we have family members that might to this day still listen to teachings that would say purgatory is a valued biblical statement. But I want to make you make very, very clear here, even at the risk of offending you, that is so not a biblical statement. It's what we refer to as heretical or heresy. It's not good. Now, If I've already offended you there, stay with me because I want to build on that. and Hopefully, you'll see where we're coming from. We are talking about purgatory. What would happen is people would go to this place, according to the teachings of the church. But they said, what we need to do is make some money for the church. So let's forego car washes or or special love offerings. And let's sell people a get-out-of-jail-free card. So in other words, what we're going to do is we're going to sell you... An opportunity where I will pray for you, get you out of purgatory, and you could go to heaven. It was called an indulgence. Where, with the proper blessing from a priest or someone in the church, your time of working off your sin, well, was finally gonna be paid off and you could go to heaven. Lesson number one today of what I want to make sure you hear. You are incapable of working off your sin. You can't do it. You will ruin your life trying to do that, and at the end of the day, you'll be empty and standing in the judgment of God. So you can't work off your sin. You can't do it. So the whole notion of purgatory is completely crazy to me. I mean, it's just wrong, excuse me, but it's just not right. And now they're saying, hey, if you'll purchase this certificate, When you die, you and your loved ones can bypass anything bad. Martin Luther said, no, 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 we got to get some things right because I'm reading the Bible and what I'm reading, that's just not the same. So last week, we looked at the first of what is called the five solas. In Latin, sola means only. So we could say it's the five onlys. Scripture only or alone. Scripture is the authority of the church. It's the authority of the believer, okay? So while I'm very humbled to be your pastor, and while I love you and I'm beyond grateful to be at North Valley Church, I cannot place any of you in heaven. I don't have the authority to do that. I can't forgive any of you of your sin that you've sinned that I've sinned against God. I can't do that. It's not in my power to do so. There's nothing I have as an institution, as a pastor, to where I could bless you and your sins are gone, where I can sprinkle something on you and your sins are gone. It's beyond my ability. It's beyond man's ability. Authority rests in the Bible alone. That's the first only or the first alone of the five solas. Today we're going to look at sola fide or faith alone. God willing, next week, sola gratia, grace alone. The week after, God willing, sola Christus, Christ alone. And then we'll end on October 31st with what my heart is already wanting to run to, sola or soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. Sola fide faith alone. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. Have your way, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out by sharing with you something that David Platt he's a pastor up in Washington. He used to be in Birmingham, uh, a pastor who I love very, very much, um, wrote on Sola Fide, and he gave this to missionaries with the encouragement of defend this at all cost. So I'm going to quote David Platt here, and if you would like me to give this to you, I can do so. Uh, but allow me just to break this down because I think he beautifully defines sola fide. He says, justification is the gracious act of God. What what do I mean by uh, justification? By now, we should know this, okay? Justification, and I use the platform here as an example, justice given to us. So when somebody says, I've been saved, what they're saying is, God, I've offended you and justice was was imparted. What justice? Because let's all agree that the justice we deserve is the outpouring of God's wrath, right? But God, in his great mercy, while we were sinning against him, sent his son, Jesus. So justice was given. So what justice is that? Lord, I believe that Jesus died to rescue me of my guilt with you. We say I was saved. But the days after that are important because that's called sanctification. Or another way we could word that is I was saved. I'm being saved. Does that mean we have to work to become Christians? That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is we are in the process of being made like Jesus. So in other words, as a 46-year-old pastor, my faith is sharper than it was when I was in my 30s or my 20s. It's important. I'm becoming like Christ. God willing, in my 50s, I'm going to look different than I did right now. My faith will be sharper, more intimate, because God is maturing me. Listen to me. Look right here. I, I run the risk of offending the room, and I want to do so to the glory of God, okay? Be concerned when the story of our salvation is justice and no sanctification. Be concerned, because sometimes if all we want to do is celebrate justice, we may actually not be Christians at all, because what we're trying to celebrate is this thought of, God, um, I am no longer going to hell. But if one has been saved, the evidence of justice is now, God, there's a new heart by which you are changing me into being like you. All of this is credit to God, not us. That's true. All of this is to the glory of God. It's not us. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. This is all Jesus who gave justice to us. And now the evidence that something happened is we're being made like him. And you know what our hope becomes? Our hope becomes that one day when we stand before God, we will be saved. We were saved, we're being saved, we're confident, God, we will be saved. By the way, the Greek word for hope is, and you've heard me say this before, it's not wringing of your hands saying, well, I'm uncertain, I kind of hope so. The Greek word for hope is the word elpis, and it means I am confident and I expect. So, Jesus, I believe, I believe you saved me, I'm currently being made Into the image of you. The things that one time my flesh longed for, I'm letting go of that now. By the way, that should be another red flag. If your flesh is still out of control, I would go back and examine has justice been given for your faith? Have we been in right standing before God? I'm not saying that abstinence of any kind leads to salvation, because in just a moment, we're about to see. It's not by our works, okay? But I am saying that there's evidence. kind of like, uh, kind of like if I said, um, I can fly. But I never fly. At some point you say, dude, I hear you say that, but just by your mere appearance, I'm on team gravity here. I mean, I, I think it could be sloppy if you try to do this. No, 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 I can fly. No, I don't see it, Rick. You are... Your mass is demanding otherwise. At some point, if that's my claim, there's going to be evidence to that claim. Well, look right here. Oh, I pray in the name of Jesus for ears to hear. The church is littered with people who think they're saved but are not. The church has many who claim to be followers of Christ because they go to church, they've done this, they've done that, they've done good things, they've given, they've, they've taken, <laughs> they've distributed. None of that matters. Faith alone matters. And it's not just faith in anything. It's got to be faith in God. So David Platt, again, I did not mean to elaborate in such Justification is the gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, you're not not saved because your grandparents built a church or your mom and dad took you to church. You're not saved because you quit drinking or because you quit sleeping around or because you quit doing. That doesn't make anybody a Christian. You are a born again follower of Christ when You believe through faith that Jesus is the answer to remedy the fact that our sin offended a holy God and judgment is coming. And we believe Jesus died for us. And if that's true, and it is, the evidence in the one who's been born again will be a life of saying, God, you are making me more and more like you. Now let's continue defining this. To do so, I'll reference Romans 3, 28. In just a moment, we're gonna be in Ephesians 2. But Romans chapter 3, verse 28, for a reference point is this: for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What Paul was saying here, a person is saved not because of anything they do that's right or good. I mean, you could be a good moral person and still be in line with the coming judgment of God. Do you hear that? I mean, are we, are we on the same page? We can, sti- we can be good people and still be in, in the path of God's judgment. And you may be one saying today, that's unfair of God. No, it's not. He is holy and perfect and good and great and mighty and gave His Son. Gave His Son to ransom His people. There are many who would say, God, can I give you my resume? I have taught Bible classes. I've prophesied in your name. God, can I give you my resume? Because let me tell you what I did. I got to where I was so involved in church, we started laying hands on sick people, and we saw COVID leave. Isn't that good? Yes. Or, God, you know what else we did? We were involved in church. We started laying hands on people, and we saw spiritual oppression, and in some cases, maybe demon possession. Just leave a scenario. Isn't that good? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, He'll say to that spiritual resume, I never knew you. So it matters what you believe. It matters that what you believe is the gospel. The gospel, let me make it very simple, because sometimes what we want to say the gospel is, well, the gospel is, as the kids were studying this morning, it's the story of Noah. Or the gospel is, no, let me let me. In essence, I'm not going to split hairs with you on that. I just want to make it very simple. The gospel is the biblical account of how God is reconciling his people to himself through giving his son. And we call that the greatest news. Right? It is indeed. Because there's nothing you could do to earn it. Sola fide, faith alone. It's important because it separates Christianity from every false gospel there is. At stake, the very good news of what Jesus has done. The teaching that we are declared righteous by God or justified, as I've already explained, on the basis of faith in Jesus alone and not by us trying to do things to earn his love, that's a key doctrine in the Bible. However, we stand apart from every world religion. And what I want to do is just very quickly share with you some of the world religions that you may know. I'm not even going into many of the other ones. These are just some of the popular headlines. Judaism. In order to be saved, you must obey the Jewish law and custom. Christianity, believe in Christ. Islam, well, if you're going to follow Islam, you must practice the five pillars of Islam. Islam is a false religion that's leading many people to hell. Islam believes in your works to follow their guides, it doesn't save anybody. Hinduism. Hinduism is the thought, you know, that's a peaceful religion. Matter of fact, we've got a lot of people that applaud Hinduism, but the only problem is they believe you keep being reincarnated and reincarnated and reincarnated, and with every life, they say, you must purify yourself from evil. Oh, sweet friends, you can't purify yourself from evil. None of us can. We can't. Rick, that's kind of closed-minded. I know. Yet, I say it in confidence of my own life. I've tried to purify myself. I've even used Christianity to try to do it. Rick, that's not... Well, I do, you do it too. I'm going to sing... This time, I'm going to raise my hands in worship. I am so clean... No, you're just going to have sweaty armpits after we get through singing. That's not going to really count for much. Can't believe I just said that. (laughs) Hinduism is the individual must purify himself. Or how about Sikhism? Sikhism is the proper worship and conduct must be performed in order to be worthy So you have to work to be worthy. Let me tell you, one of the most exhausting issues between parent and child relationships in our world is how the frustration is that a a child has to earn the love of his parent. It's heartbreaking to hear that. And for those of you who may have come from homes where you had to fight to earn the affection of your mother or your father, and then when somebody talks about God's love, it just ruins that example. Can I just tell you, I love you but the love our Father gives is so much more real and more powerful than anything man can offer. You can't earn God's love. He doesn't love the missionary on the other side of the world that's dying for their faith. He doesn't love them more than he loves the the Christian in, in a Western society that is going through the frustrations of everyday life. He doesn't love one more than the other. His love is that superior. And by the way, just for, and God willing, we may have this discussion later, one of the worst things we could do is when we try to categorize God's love by the definition of our culture. It'll frustrate the fool out of you. Have You ever heard of Confucius? Those who follow him says heaven on earth is possible. (laughs) Nope. Nonetheless, heaven on earth is possible, but only through personal conformity to the rules of society. Paganism. Well, you must appease the gods and spirits in order to be rewarded. Atheism. Arguably one of the most complex faiths on this list. Atheism, you know the one that says I don't believe in God. No, no, no. It's a very complex faith. Let me let me explain it to you. Atheism says compliance to a system or philosophy. You've got to do that to be happy. So you must be totally non-compliant in order to be free, thus making you an anarchist. A lot of faith there. Or you've got to keep all the rules. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Christianity says this. Trust Christ. Um, I may have shared this with you before, but allow me to say it again. Uh, you know how we always get mad at the public school system? <laughs> we always get very mad at them. We're blaming them for something, right? Um, one of the things that always gets brought up is uh, I'm so mad about creationism. I'm so mad. Let me tell you, I have no problem with the schools teaching Darwinianism or Charles Darwin. I have no problem with it. Matter of fact, I wish they would teach it to its fullest extent because I trust the common sense, common sense of our students. The problem is we're just not teaching Darwinism to its fullest. Let me tell you what Darwinism teaches. You ready? Darwinism actually teaches this. Charles Darwin wrote this in his book. I mean, again, my my only gripe is not that you're teaching it. Why aren't you quoting the whole thing? They teach um, women are lesser creations. And that some tribes that drug them by the hair was actually recognizing the lesser creation of, of a lady. Teach that in a public school. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Or or how about this? This really upset me. This really frustrated me because I think a lot of Darwinism is leaking in the church. And you ready? This is it. Those of a darker skin pigment is lesser of a creation. Teach that in school. Hey, let's give Mr. Darwin credit for that mess, right? Basically, you're going to say I devalue somebody because of the skin pigment? Are you crazy? I mean, we have world religions everywhere that want to quantify people based on their skin, their gender. We want to do everything. But yet the message of the gospel is screaming out, you can't fix anything, and your only hope is Christ crucified. That's our hope. And in the church, in a day when the church was saying, the priest can save you, the church can save you, we take communion, it will save you, give us money, I'll save you. In a day when the church was abusing society, God started raising up a remnant that said, Salvation is found in faith in Jesus alone. One more point before we keep going here. Sometimes we want to have faith in something more than Jesus. So allow me to momentarily address a very evil faith that may be at work in this room right now. Look right here. Because it goes unchecked, it goes unrebuked, and pastors have built mega churches on top of it, and I refuse to do so. Sometimes as Christians, we enter a church, and our faith is this. God, I have faith for a better me. My better me means that I want certain things in my life. God, I want a better house, a better living environment. I I want to be loved. And God, I believe I can find all of that through you. That's not faith in Jesus. That's faith in your ego. Let's strip that away just for a moment and look at what Jesus wants. Instead of us saying, God, if I come to you, will you give me a better living situation? God, if I come to you, will you give me the love? God, if I'm coming to you, will you give me a spouse or will you give me a relationship? God, if, I'm, if I come to you will, you, will you give me this and whatever this is that I'm wanting to trade, I, my faith is actually in that. I mean, I want... A house, I want a car, I I would love, not a fancy car, I just want one that will crank. God, if you will just allow me on a Monday morning to turn the car over, glory be to God, I will, Lord, here's the exchange, I will pray, I'll come to church. Anybody want to deal with some false idols this morning? About to cut the room in half. One more touchdown. (laughs) One more. I will be a D-Life leader. I don't even know what that is. I I will go once. That's not faith in Christ. Faith in Christ says this. I have nothing. I have nothing to offer you. The only thing you're promising is you'll never leave me. You're never going to abandon me. I may suffer, but you won't leave me in my suffering. I may go it alone at times, but that loneliness will never mean it's without you. Some of us, the faith we want to celebrate is actually faith in garbage. And your garbage will leave you empty. When the reformers said, faith in Christ alone, faith alone, what they were saying is not faith that your hut would be better or your village would be more prosperous or that your income would be greater. It's God, I believe I am in line with your judgment. And the only hope I have is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus, you are going to fix that you are saving me so that when God sees me, the offense Of my sin where I've offended the holy God will no longer be seen in me, but the blood of Messiah will be seen instead. And by that faith, you will start a work in me that you promise to see to completion until the day that I stand before you. That that work, there are gonna be days where in my sanctification process where I fall flat on my face. And, and my mouth don't sound like somebody that was just re- regenerated. The difference is, we see our offense and we say, "God, I am sorry." Do you understand some of us want a miracle, right? We want a miracle in the house of God? Let me tell you what a miracle is, the fact that God calls us to repentance. What a miracle. That's That right there is worthy of a parade through Margaret because what we're saying is, oh God, in my previous life, I would have held up hands and fists and wanted to fight you. But now God, you are changing me and now I know through you, I have a gift to call out and beg for repentance. Sometimes we even think repentance is our idea. If you're taking notes, it ain't. Yet there is an ongoing discussion in the church between faith and works. So let's settle the debate today, quickly. Works are, listen to this, works are required for salvation. But Scripture is clear that those works are the works of Jesus and not us. Okay? Yes, work is required for salvation, but listen, friend, it ain't you. It's Jesus, the great sovereign Messiah, the king, the perfect spotless lamb of God. That's the work that's required for salvation. All praise to the most high God. Our works do nothing to earn or maintain salvation. Nothing. You can't keep it. You can't lose it. Because Jesus wrote it. If you're afraid you're, you can lose your salvation, I say, again, how often do I, almost weekly now, you would have already lost it this morning. You would have. Especially some of you who are so mad, you, there's fingerprints in your coffee cup By the time you get here because kids were driving you insane, then you get in and say, oh, connect groups are fun. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your kids are like, my mom and dad speaking Hebrew on the way. (laughs) Yeah, we know what that means, right? Okay. Listen, if we could lose our salvation, we would. But we, we drop to our knees and say, Jesus, it's all you. It's all you. Thank you, God. The work that was required, it was all you, Jesus. And the work that we see through us, well, that's a product of faith, not us. That was our introduction. (laughs) I love you. all laughed at that last week too. Ephesians chapter two. I love you. You may be hearing this again, but I thought I would start out today so that we could elaborate more in the coming weeks. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now look right here. Dead means, in the Greek, the word for dead is dead. Not sick when I'm sick, I could do all kind of things to take care of myself. You were dead, dead. Uh, I told you about the scenario the other day um, where we were sitting in here, and I, we were singing Larry and uh, Andrew were leading us in worship, and I thought, man, this is a great time to tell Frankie about the Gospels, because he was just singing, "Is Jesus, I love, thank you, I love you, Jesus, and I said, Frankie, um, Jesus died on the cross, and you remember what I told you he said, he said, oh, no, oh, no, and I said, then it dawned on me, I don't know how to say he's alive in sign language, so I said, he stopped being dead, He stopped. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus. So I ran out, and I said, Caroline, real quick, would you tell me how to sign he's alive to Frankie? And she said, what have you done? I said, just do it. And she said, he's alive. So I said, he's alive. Well, now here's what Frankie does. Um, Yesterday, I I have some arthritic issues that my dad uh, entrusted to me, and I'm grateful for it. So as I'm limping through the house, uh, Frankie says, Da, you hurt? Yeah, and I'll say, you're going to die. <laughs> no, bud, I'm just limping. I mean, we're good. No, die, you're going to die. He'll pray, Jesus, Da. hurt, he's going to die, Amen. The difference is my son can't see dead in sickness. In death, there is no animation. In pain and in sickness, there's animation. Look right here, church. In our sin, you were not sick. In our sin, we are not hurt. In our sin nature, we're dead. Nothing. Where the Bible says in verse 2, in which you once walked uh, following the course of this world, it means you were spiritually dead because the evidence was your life was living for the world. Matter of fact, it says in verse 2, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and were or carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sin, when we were dead, he made us. He made us alive together with Christ. Guys. I'm going to rebuke you for a second. I just said in your sin you were dead and we were made alive in Christ. At least wake up to that news. All right? I'm just saying, amen. Come on now. This moves mountains. Some of us need to remember, back to the text. God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Yes, And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him at the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, we were saved, we're being saved, One day we'll be saved. In those days, in the coming ages, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How many of you feel loved by God? Let me tell you this. You have no idea what's coming. Because right now there's still a war where God despises our sin. And the day's coming when we'll be with him, you have no idea. I can't fathom the love that's waiting on us. But yet, sometimes we want to comfort ourselves by saying, Those who have gone before us in Christ, well, they're playing golf today. No. There's the fullness of the reward of faith. The war against sin has halted and the love of God on full display. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let me make three or four very simple conclusions. And I'm going to do this very, very quickly. Number one, faith is not of our own doing. Oh, families of God, celebrate and foster a love for the work and the mercy of God. That is the most important thing our homes could do. Foster a love for the work of Jesus. Protect it, guard it, Love it, celebrate it to quote the Old Testament, bind it as islets. I mean, put the Shema in front of you where you're constantly reciting, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. I mean, that should be a, a, a verse that's just branded on the heart of the one that's been redeemed. Faith is not of our own doing. It is a gift of God. Point number two, faith is a gift of God. <laughs> Oh, what a gift indeed. If we truly believe that salvation is not of us, if we truly believe that salvation is a gift, then let me tell you, look right here, church, we should be begging for the audiences of kings. If we truly believe that God's the one who does the work, or as I wish I could quote the sweet, elderly man at Bethany Baptist Church when I first started pastoring up in Crane Hill, Alabama. I wish I could remember his name, but he put his arm around me and he said, Rick, just always remember, because I, I just butchered my first business meeting in a Southern Baptist church. Train wreck, guys. Train wreck. And I sat there and thought, well, obviously I'm disqualified from the gospel ministry because I don't know Robert's rules of order. I know Paul, but not Robert. Nonetheless, this guy put his arm around me and he said, just remember this, buddy. You're called to be a distributor, not a manufacturer. Oh, man, that's so true. So if I'm to distribute, I pray for audiences with presidents. All I've got to do is distribute the information and trust God for the results. You want to know the biggest fear that we have in sharing the gospel with our coworkers, our children, our families? so we feel like we have to save them. Congratulations, you can't. You can't. Just share. Share your heart. This is the story of how I was saved. This is the cross of Christ. This is what's happened to me. And Then let go. Faith is a gift of God. A major problem in the church is our praise weakens because we often believe that we did something to attribute to our salvation when we did not. If when you praise God, what you're really praising is, is, God, I'm so grateful for me and you and how we loved me and saved me. That's not praise, guys. Silly. Praise is beautiful when we realize, God, thank you while I was, well, let me quote Paul so I don't get in trouble. I was dead in my trespasses and sins and you made me alive in Christ Jesus. Praise Him that way. See what happens. You see, friends, the the question is not whether or not you have faith. The question is, do you believe the right thing? Do you believe? Roughly 15 to 20 years after the teaching of sola fide, the worth of that statement was about to be tested. Last week, I shared with you about William Tyndale, one who contributed greatly to the word of to the printing of the word of God and it going out. But in 1536, he was strangled and then burnt at the stake. William Hunter was burned in 1555. His accusation was documented in eight pages of how important faith alone in Christ was to our salvation. Not faith in the church, not faith in a priest, not faith in a pastor, not faith in a rabbi. The church documented his death with 21 lines. But they heard his faith, didn't they? Same with John Hooper. 41 pages on how this heretic believed that faith alone in Christ would save a soul. Less than one page documenting his murder at the hands of the church. In all, there was over 600 people who were burnt for their faith between 1500 and 1558. The reason the church was trying to cleanse their soul so that they would recognize salvation was found in the church and not through Christ alone. 1553, there was a merchant by the name a merchant, not a pastor a merchant by the name of Matthew de Monet. He was burned in lions. Before he was martyred, this is what was said of him. Quote, he suffered great problems with temptation because of his parents, his brothers, his relatives, the sorrow he had for his mother. But yet it was noted He went to his death because faith alone in Christ mattered. You may have heard the name John Brown. My grandmother used to use that quite often, but not for the recognition I'm sharing with you today. John Brown was burnt alive as well for his faith, but listen to what his wife did. His wife sat by him all night while he was in the stocks right in front of the city. But what was noted of her conversation to him was while he was silent and afraid, she would not let him be fearful, but encouraged him to stay faithful unto death for his faith in Christ Jesus. Let me put that into the radical statement of 2021. One spouse saying, Stay faithful, instead of saying, well, just quit your job. We need the money. One foul, a spouse saying, staying faithful instead of saying, you're embarrassing me on social media. Or one spouse saying, stay faithful unto Christ instead of saying, you go to church without me. I'm getting a little tired of that. Garbage. Many wives were sympathetic. William Hunter was tried and then burnt. His parents never asked him to give up. They didn't follow him with lamentation, with labored talk, with their words. Instead, they prayed and they sang as their son went to his death for this godly purpose. John Scrivener, Joan Clerk, two lay people who were burnt because they testified faith in Christ alone was salvation. Their children were asked to light the fire. We sit here today in the year 2021 in a very comfortable church. Faith alone leads to salvation. Do you agree? Do you? Are you you serious? If we're not careful, we will cultivate an environment that says, say this prayer and then live however you want to. Live however you want to. We defend that by saying, we don't want to be legalistic. Enough. In the name of Jesus, enough. Salvation is not found in your faith for your comfort. It's found in proper faith placed in Christ Jesus. And that faith brings about a change in our life. Today, I pray, is the day of salvation for many in this room. I know who I'm talking to because we're a room full of people who've been in church our whole life, but maybe you can relate to me. I was raised in church too. I went through the motions too. I too thought I was going to heaven because of my parents who were faithful to take me to church, who made me go to church, and I thought that by osmosis, I was going to be granted something that was promised to them. But by the mercy of God, he showed me I was walking straight toward his wrath that was going to be poured out on my sin. And my only hope for salvation was not to barter with God or make a deal with God or say, God, I promise I'll do better. I'll quit drinking this. I'll quit going here. I'll quit trying. God, please just, just let me have fun and then I'll come to you when I'm ready. God showed me my guilt And at that moment, it was plain to me. I stand in opposition to a holy God. And my only hope is the blood of Jesus, his son, poured out for me. And if that's true, if I truly believe that, it doesn't result in mediocrity. It causes me to yearn to be broken over my sin. It's a gift of God to do that. And it sets me on a life where he will do that work in me until the day I stand before him. If you're here in this room right now, and as I'm talking to you, you could say this, Rick, I'm not sure if I'm really a Christian or not. I mean, I've been in church, but I've I've had questions. This has been a nagging question. Then you need to know I'm talking directly to you. Today is the day. Andrew's going to play. And let me tell you one thing I hate that we did in church growing up. Stand right here. The aisles are open. You walk the aisle, Pastor, I'm just really sorry. Really, what are you you sorry about? Well, I'm I'm sorry that I don't feel saved. Well, say these words and you'll be saved. Jesus, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm really sorry, really sorry. Really, really sorry. Really, really really sorry. Really, 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 really sorry. Amen. Congratulations, brother. You are now a Christian. You're bona fide. No, 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 no. In the name of Jesus, no. No, no more. But if the Holy Spirit is showing you your guilt before God, then let us sit and cry out to God and say, Lord, you're perfect. I've offended you. I have broken trust with you. I have shown hatred toward you. I deserve for you to put me in a courtroom and judge me as guilty. I deserve your wrath. But yet you tell me if I believe in your son, I will be forgiven. That's not from me. That's from you. And I believe. I believe. I want to sit down with you and I want to open God's word And I want to make sure you understand. So here's what I'm telling you right now. If that's you, get up right now from where you're sitting and walk to the back of the room, and you and I will go sit down and talk. Right? We can do it right now. I know people may look. I know. That's the point. It's okay. If you have questions on whether or not you're a believer in Christ Jesus, we're going to do this right now. We're going to open up God's Word. By the way, walking to the back of the room doesn't make you a Christian. It just means we're going to go open up God's Word. But also in this moment, as Andrew plays, for those of us who are Christians, let us come back to the place where we're saying, God, believing in you is not just a part of the story. It's the story. It's the story. And I want my life to be lived in gratitude for the work of what you've done. So in an attitude of prayer, Lord Jesus, in this moment, as I am silent and I'll I let I just get out of the way, Lord, for you to, to bring the Word of God to the hearts of your people. Show us who we are without you, and let us celebrate the work that you've done in us because of you. So that our faith will drive us.
1: In Jesus' name. Lord my God, when I am awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout. This. Let's sing this to the Lord. This sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. He is indeed. How great thou art. This yes. sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great yes. thou art. How great thou art, and when I think That God is son not sparing, sent him to die I scarce can take it in, that on the cross My my burden gladly bearing To take away my (laughs) sin Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee How great Thou art how great
0: thou art. All right, guys. We've talked about how great it was, how great God was in creation. We've talked about how great God was in his crucifixion. But the day's coming when the war over our flesh will be no more. There will be shouts of celebration. Our Lord has returned for his bride. We believe that. That's part of our faith. Andrew's going to lead us in this last verse. As we sing this, I want you to forget about everybody else in the room, person on your right or your left, and I want you to sing this in gratitude.